Amen. Thank you, Miss Ruth. Thank you, Robin. Great thoughts, great songs. Go ahead and get your Bibles with Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. But a lot of things are going to be great about heaven. First and foremost, get to see Jesus. It'll also be good to see people we've loved here and haven't seen for a while. It'll also be good to meet people in person we've read about all these years. That'll be good. Sit down, hear some stories. Have time to hear your stories. I'm going to do some fishing, so you might want to have to see me at the lake. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 1. We are as... Probably most, if not all of you know, on Sunday nights, working through a series on Bible doctrine. I want us as a people of God, I want us to understand what the Bible teaches. That is where everyone begins. We learn what the Bible teaches. And then anyone who wants to be more mature, anyone who wants to be wiser, we we need to learn why. Why do we believe what we believe? Why do we do what we do? Uh, Whether you realize it or not, nearly everything in some way or another that we do at Bible Baptist Church is purposeful. And I I would that all of us were familiar with what we do that is biblical, uh, what we do that is linked with historical biblical Christians, and what we do that is just the preference of this assembly. Uh, It's good to know all those things. It doesn't make our preferences bad. It just means we need to treat things that are preference as preference and treat things from the Bible like they're in the Bible. Uh, What's going on today is people don't think anything's in the Bible. And uh, there's a lot more stuff in the Bible about what we should be doing than most people uh, seem to think. Uh, Sound doctrine, of course, is where we get our stability, our stability in life, our stability in our Christian walk, our stability in ministry, and it is not a surprise that we are taught to give attendance to doctrine, to pay attention to it, to take heed to doctrine. We're warned that in the last days some would depart from the faith. We're commanded to earnestly contend for the faith, and if you and I are going to earnestly contend for the faith, we're going to have to know what it is. What are the key Bible doctrines that are most especially important? Last Sunday night when I spoke, we began to study the person and work of the Holy Spirit. We were reminded that the Holy Spirit is not just the power of God or the manifestation of God. The Holy Spirit is the third person of our triune creator, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And because the Holy Spirit lives in us, and because of the full deity of the Holy Spirit, you and I have the privilege of always having God with us, of always having God in us. And so wherever we go, whatever we do, we take God with us. What a great privilege, and what a great challenge as well, because there are some things the Lord doesn't want anything to do with. We began to study together then the work of the Holy Spirit in our world. We saw how He was active in creation as He moved upon the face of the waters. We talked about Him being the restrainer of evil in our world. We talked about the one, He was the one who moved holy men to write uh, the words for the Scriptures we hold in our hand. We saw how He reproves the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And then we focused for just a bit 
and reminded ourselves that the Holy Spirit points people to Jesus Christ. He doesn't focus on pointing people to the Father, though I'm sure He does some of that. He does not focus on pointing people to Himself, although I'm sure He does some, some of that as well. His emphasis is on the person and work of Jesus. And so, if you and I want to be in on the work of the Holy Spirit in our world, we will make much of the name of Jesus, much of the death and the resurrection and salvation that Jesus Christ offers. That is the work of the Spirit and the primary work of our church. Now tonight we are going to continue, and for the next, if the Lord tarries and the Lord doesn't change my heart, probably six weeks after tonight as well, we're just talking about the work of the Holy Spirit uh, in the life of a believer. And so if you are able to stand, if you would stand tonight, please, in honor of God's Word. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 12, says that we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted Christ. By the way, before we go on, notice that if you're a Christian, you should be to the praise of His glory. So how should I live my life? I should live my life in a way that brings praise and glory to God. Notice it says, who first trusted Christ, verse 13. says, in whom ye also trusted after that you heard the word of truth. Notice the order. You hear the word of truth, you trust Christ. says, in whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. What's the word of truth here? The gospel of your salvation says, in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Thank you. you might be seated. Uh, last week, we began talking about the role of the Holy Spirit in our salvation. He first reaches us by convicting us for our sins. Hear me when I say no one ever turns to God just because they decide one day on their own to turn to God. God must always first draw someone to Christ and convict them of their sins. Thank God that the Holy Spirit does that at some point for every human being on this planet. Romans 12, 3 says, God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. And then we decide whether we will put our measure of faith in the Savior or in something or someone else. John 1, 9 says that He lighteth every man that cometh into the world. The Holy Spirit must first draw someone to Christ. By the way, if you are a parent of a young child, if you are a teacher of young children, understand this, is that salvation in the life of that child begins with God speaking to their heart about their sins and convicting them for their sins. And if you are trying, because I know all of us want to have our children saved, if you are trying to preempt the Holy Spirit, you are going to err in giving your child a false profession. Always look first for God's Spirit convicting them for their sins. That is the beginning of that process. They hear the word of truth, and then they decide to trust the Savior that's set forth to them. But notice that in our text, something else happens in the beginning, uh, in the middle of verse 13, says, after that ye believed, 
So notice believing is synonymous with trusting in Christ, not just knowing the facts. After that you believe, notice what happens. Ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, practically speaking, it is instantaneous when you trust Christ and you are sealed with the Spirit. Theologically speaking, there is... Uh, a sequence. The sequence is you hear the word of truth, you make a decision whether to trust and believe in Christ, and if you trust and believe in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in you instantaneously in a split second after you make that decision, and He seals you. And notice in verse 14, that event, the Holy Spirit coming in you and sealing you, it is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. If you've ever bought a house, one of the things you do is you put down earnest money. It is a down payment that shows to the seller of the house and the agent and to yourself that you are going to buy this house. That's what earnest money is. Uh, the earnest of our redemption, the down payment on our redemption, the seal that you and I know that God is going to finish what He started in us is the Holy Spirit that comes in us the day we're saved. That's the down payment on our salvation. Amen? And His seal, um, m most of you are familiar with historical seals where someone with a position and power of some sort, they would have an insignia that was unique to them. And when you wanted to seal an envelope or something, remember they sealed the tomb of Christ. When you wanted to make sure no one opened that envelope or that tomb, you put in the tomb's case the Roman insignia. In human beings' case, it was the family insignia or your personal insignia, and that showed, hey, listen, no one opens this because of the power and authority of the seal. Hear me when I say, if you are saved, you are sealed by God. The Holy Spirit is the earnest. He is the down payment of your salvation, and you are sealed by God until the redemption of the purchased possession, until you pass and go to heaven like Robin sang about tonight, or until Christ returns in the air and has us meet Him in the clouds. You're secure. Your salvation is secure because of the seal of the Holy Spirit. By the way, if you turn up a little bit in chapter 4, he tells us the same thing in verse 30. Ephesians 4.30, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. You have God's seal in your life. It is the earnest, it is the down payment that your salvation is real because the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of our triune creator, lives in your life heart. Boy, what a great truth, amen? But it does bring up a good question. Since the Holy Spirit seals us, what is the role of the Holy Spirit in our life as a believer? We've already learned as we talked about the doctrine of eternal security, and we saw it here taught in another manner that we're sealed until the day of, of redemption. So the Holy Spirit is in us for all of our days. He is our seal. He is our earnest. He is a down payment of a completed transaction. Last week, we talked about His role in the world. What is the Holy Spirit's role in us? 
In you and me, in, as a believer in Jesus Christ, what is his role? It's a great question. Please first go back in your Bible to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. I just have four things that are his role in our life. I think I'll get done a little early. But a lot of times when I think I get done early, I go long. What is the role? Uh, by, by the way, I, I don't, you, you guys, most preachers, they, they, they don't care about stopping times. Uh, they just let the nursery workers grieve on. Um, me, I, I really, I, I want, uh, I, you might not agree with this, but I believe our seating capacity is about 40 minutes. And I believe when we reach our seating capacity, our mind begins to wander. And so I want to stay underneath your seating capacity uh, tonight. What is the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer? Here's number one. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. He is our comforter. John chapter 14, Jesus speaking to the apostles on his last night in verse 16. He says, and I will pray the Father. He shall give you another comforter. By the way, it's in another comforter because until that time, Jesus was their comforter. I shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Sounds like we're sealed to the day of redemption. Even the spirit of truth. So who's the comforter? According to verse 17, the spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him for he dwelleth with you. And notice the ministry of the Spirit would later change and shall be in you. By the way, if you read some Islamic publications, they will tell you that Muhammad is the fulfillment of this and that he is the promised comforter by Jesus. Uh, by the way, that works on a bunch of biblically illiterate people. Uh, that's why my goal is that we be biblically literate. Because it is very clear that when Jesus said the other comforter that was coming, he defines who that is, even the spirit of truth. Notice a similar thing in chapter 15 in verse 26. But when the comforter has come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Notice again, the Holy Spirit is a comforter. Notice the Holy Spirit again, is very, the comforter is very specifically said to be the spirit of truth. Did you ever notice we sing a song here, the comforter has come. We're singing literally about this biblical truth when we sing that song. Chapter 16, verse 12. No, I'm sorry, it's verse 7 of chapter 16. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. The Holy Spirit is our Comforter. Uh, there isn't a single person here tonight who hasn't needed the comfort of the Holy Spirit from time to time in our life. But by the way, the world doesn't have this kind of comfort. By and, by and large, the world is so satisfied with reality that they use marijuana and alcohol 
to alter their reality. We don't need an altered reality. Reality is just fine for the faithful child of God. We have a comforter. It is the Holy Spirit, and we've all needed it. We've all needed someone to come alongside us. We've all needed someone to speak peace to our heart in a situation where we were anxious or troubled. We've all needed the calm confidence that everyone, that everything is going to be all right. Listen, I don't know how it's going to turn out tomorrow, but I do know everything's going to be all right. The comfort of the Holy Ghost is a great blessing for every Christian as we struggle in a world filled with disappointment and brokenness. The comfort of the Holy Spirit is a great blessing for every faithful believer who's trying to do ministry. You know, one of the reasons that people stop doing ministry or change ministry is because ministry is hard. I personally believe much of modern Christianity, one of the big reasons they've changed ministry is they're trying to make it easy. They got in ministry and learned, wow, it's hard. You're fighting the devil. You're fighting people. You're fighting your own flesh. You're fighting your own weariness. You're fighting your your own weariness and well-doing. Listen, ministry is not easy. I thank God tonight for the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you tonight, if you're a Christian, are you looking for the Holy, to the Holy Spirit for comfort when you're troubled, disappointed, distressed, broken? Listen, if you're a Christian and you're not living a life that is characterized by the Holy Spirit's comfort, I'm not implying we don't have times when we're troubled and distressed and anxious. You will never escape those. But if your life is not basically characterized by the comfort of the Holy Ghost, you're missing something God intended you to have. In a few weeks, we'll talk about what's likely causing that. But here tonight, the Holy Spirit is our comforter, but He is not just our comforter. Here's number two. What is the role and work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer? The Holy Spirit is our teacher. He is our comforter. He is our teacher. Back just a page in John chapter 14, verse 26 says, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send you in my name, he shall teach you all things. Bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Notice he is our teacher. <laughs> Turn up a page to John chapter 16, verse 12. It says, how be it, no, I'm sorry, verse 12, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them. How be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. He shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. He will show you things to come. Notice, he will guide you into all truth. He is our teacher. He is our guide into truth. By the way, I hope you understand that does not mean that you and I do not need anyone else in our life to teach us. There's a lot of people that proudly act that way. I don't need the church. I don't need a pastor. I don't need an adult Sunday school teacher. I don't need anything. I've got the Holy Ghost as my teacher. By the way, the Holy Ghost is your teacher. Let me ask you a question, though. If God intended for you to learn everything directly from the Holy Spirit, why in Romans chapter 12, when he lists the seven permanent spiritual gifts, why is one of them teaching? 
Have you ever considered the fact that very often the Holy Spirit teaches us through people God has gifted and called to teach? In fact, keep your hand there. Go back in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. There's some places in the Bible you'll find me going often because they're just very practical, ongoing spiritual issues, and this is one of them. was telling uh, the class this morning teaching on parenting that I don't know how many it is, but there's probably only maybe 20 main themes in the Bible. And God in lots of different ways keeps repeating those themes and teaching them to us over and over and over by statement, by parable, by examples that are good, by examples that are bad. And that's why if you're in a biblical church, you will hear the same things in lots of different ways because God is focusing on those big things. And this is one of those sections of the Scripture that just really has a lot of practical things in it, and it applies for our thought tonight. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, uh, says, And he, and we read the context, text, it's Christ, and Christ gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. By the way, notice it's not pastors, comma, and teachers. Pastors and teachers, that's, that, that's one person. One of the primary roles of a pastor is to teach. Uh, if you're a young man here, think God might want you someday to be a pastor. It's great that you can preach. It's a wonderful thing to preach. That's a spiritual gift. But if you're going to be a pastor, you need to be a teacher also. And notice he's going to tell us why. Why did Christ give those people? Verse 12, he's going to give three reasons here. Notice the first one, for the perfecting of the saints to mature and complete his people. That's what, you know, you had a perfect day out. It doesn't mean nothing was wrong. It just means it just matures everything you expect. Notice the second reason in verse 12. For the work of the ministry. Notice the third reason he gave pastors and teachers. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Edifying means to make strong. Please hear me when I say, no Christian will be as mature or as strong, or do as much ministry as God hoped they would do if they do not find that pastor-teacher God intended for them. Listen, I'm not pretending I'm the only one of them around. There's other men God has called to do what I'm doing tonight. I believe God has one of those people for every one of his children. So how will I recognize them? Uh, God will teach you through them. You'll know in your heart. That's the guy I'm supposed to listen to. Uh, there's actually a fourth reason, and it's down a little bit farther. Uh, notice how long this will last till we come uh, in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, under the measure, the stature, of the fullness of Christ. Here's a fourth reason, that. That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of man and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Notice the fourth reason why God gave those pastor teachers that you would know, be no more children tossed to and fro with every kind of wind of doctrine. Listen, 
There is a lot of winds of doctrine that blow around. Understand, that's not new to 2022. That has been always. It was like that in the first century. What's kind of, of new is the depth that this has taken root in biblical churches. But God teaches His people by His Spirit through those He's gifted and called to teach. And you can go back to John chapter 14 where we were before. By the way, those reasons, that's one of the reasons you ought to have a church. And I know, you say, what are you telling me that for? I'm in church. Uh, because I want you to understand why you're here. Uh, because you're going to end up in conversations with other believers who don't value the church. And I want you to be able to say more than, well, you know what, I like going to church. By the way, I do like going to church. Uh, but I want you to be able to say to them, like I, by the grace of God, have been able to say to some people, well, you're right, you don't need the church to be saved. But understand that if you don't have the church, if you don't have the pastor, teacher, God intended for you, you will never be as strong as you could be. You will never be as mature as you could be. You will never be as stable as you can be. You need the church. And then they change the subject. In addition to the Holy Spirit teaching us through those people God has gifted us, He also teaches us as believers in other ways. He's our teacher when we read the Scriptures for ourselves. I hope you read your Bible every day. I hope before you read word number one, I hope you in some manner bow your head and just say, Lord, please teach me. I, I can't understand without help. I want to learn. Please teach me. The Holy Spirit is our teacher when we read the Scriptures for ourselves. He's our teacher when we seek wisdom from God and understanding in a situation. I, I hope you understand. James said that if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. It should be given to him. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the source of that wisdom when you ask for wisdom. Uh, he is our teacher when God speaks with us, to us on occasion through unusual means. <laughs> uh, one time God spoke to a believer named Balaam through a donkey. One time in John, I think it's chapter 10, uh, God spoke through an unsaved high priest named Caiaphas when he said, is it expedient for us that one man should die for the people? That was the words of the Holy Spirit through an unsaved man. Now don't misunderstand me. I don't go to a stable listening to donkeys, nor do I go to the synagogue to look to the uh, high priest there for spiritual advice. But you and I ought to understand <clears throat> that God sometimes speaks to us through unusual means too. There have been times God spoke to me through what some unsaved person said. There have been times that God spoke to me through something when somebody said it and they meant it hurtful and angry, but God spoke to me through it. Multiple times God has spoken to me through my wife. You say, well, you're supposed to be the boss of that house. You're right, I am, and I'm also supposed to love my wife like myself. There are times when God spoke to me through my children. So what kind of parent you are, taking advice from your kids? No, but why aren't you listening? 
Maybe God is seeing if you're humble enough to listen to a kid. Primarily, the Holy Spirit speaks to us through people. He is called and gifted uh, to teach and preach the Scriptures. Primarily, He speaks to us when we read the Scriptures for ourselves. But God speaks to us in lots of different ways. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. He teaches us about life. He teaches us about eternity. He teaches us about ourselves. He teaches us the Word of God. Let me ask you, are you seeking His instruction? Are you teachable? From whom do you allow yourself to learn? You know, it's pretty easy, and and, and listen, I'm no prophet, but you know, if Christ tarries, uh, some of you all someday are going to have to learn from somebody younger than you. Just like some of you came here and you're 20 years older from me and you said, you know what? I'll let that man teach me even though he's younger than me. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. He is our teacher. What is the role of the Holy Spirit? What is His work in the life of a believer? Here's number three. He helps remember, helps us remember the things of God. We read that in John 14, 26 in that same verse. Earlier, it says, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send you my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. By the way, I've got that last half of that verse highlighted in my Bible because that's a great practical truth to a Christian. The Holy Spirit teaches us, and he helps us remember what Christ has said. (laughs) By the way, the work of the Holy Spirit is how the apostles remembered what Jesus had said to write the books of the New Testament. It was the work of the Holy Spirit. It was a specific promise to them. And by the way, they probably had taken notes. Uh, If our our thought process is, well, you know, they just listened to Jesus day after day after day, never wrote anything down, and then 15 years later, they just said, eh, I think I'm going to write what Jesus did and taught. I think that's probably inaccurate. In Revelation chapter 10, uh, John says, when the seven thunders had uttered their voice, I was about to write. That's in Revelation 10, 4. And in that particular case, God said, don't write what the the thunder said. Now, 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 don't you suppose that the apostles, when they're listening to Jesus, they're taking notes. I mean, many of you take notes when I preach. When I go other places to listen to people preach, I take notes. Uh, Don't you suppose they had uh, the equivalent of a pen and paper with them at the time? I mean, I don't know, a a papyrus and an inkwell and and, and a quill? Well, of course they would. Listen, I mean, how much more would you take notes if the speaker was Jesus? How much more would you take notes if you knew Paul was showing up? Listen, I would be in the front row with my pen. Uh, you, many of you, when you read your Bible, you have a journal, and you journal uh, about what you read in your Bible. Again, you might not be like this. When I read my Bible every day, if I do not have uh, my pens sitting there, and if I do not have my phone where I have a Strong's Concordance, where I can just like study words and phrases uh, as they come to me when I'm reading, I don't feel like I'm prepared to listen. 
And the Holy Spirit uses what we've taken the time to read and learn. He helps us remember those words when we need them. It's part of his ministry. There's people all over this room, and you could stand up and testify, you know what, I was talking to such and so, and they asked me a question, and I just knew an answer. I hadn't thought about that in months or years, and the Holy Spirit brought something to my remembrance. If you've ever tried to be a witness for Christ, you would testify that that's the case. I, for 20 years, I was a youth uh, pastor, and uh, we used to take, like we do here, our teens out into the neighborhoods, and uh, they, teens would be talking to adults, and I couldn't tell you how many times a teenager would come back and say, do you know what, I was talking to an adult about such and so, and they asked me this question, and God gave me an answer to give them. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you, are you doing your part to hide the words of God in your heart? (laughs) To make them available for the Holy Spirit to remind you. Let me ask you this, do you recognize and thank God for the moments when the Holy Spirit brings something to your remembrance? But it's not just that the Holy Spirit is our comforter and our teacher and helps us remember the things that Jesus said and taught us Romans chapter 8. Lastly tonight. Looks like I was not correct when I said I'd get done early. My new promise is I'll get done on time. What is the role and work of the Holy Spirit in our life as a believer? Here's number four. The Holy Spirit helps us pray. The Holy Spirit helps us pray. Romans chapter 8, verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit, capital S, also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. I've got that little phrase underlined in my Bible. I don't know how some of you always know what to pray for. I think if you always think you know what to pray for, you don't know as much as you think you know. It says, for we didn't know not what we should pray for as we ought. No, so we, Paul means himself. It says, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. He that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now, I don't know how you conduct your prayer life. One of the things I always recommend to to people is uh, you use your drive on the way to work as prayer time. It's just built in. Leave the radio off, use that as prayer time. Uh, I don't know what you do. You may not have a long drive to work. You may not even drive to work. And you have other ways and other times you've set aside to pray. But what my point is is simply this. Uh, nearly always in the morning before my prayer time, I will pray something like this. Uh, God, I don't know what to pray for as I ought. Please, Holy Spirit, help me pray. I mean, how do you know what to pray for when some loved one is on their deathbed? Do you pray for healing? Do you really think that's always best? 
Do you really think God thinks that's always best? What about sometime when you're in adversity or someone you love in adversity? Is it always best to be out of adversity? Or are at times the adversity we face, is that really the only way we will stay humble and dependent on God? And if we pray for that adversity to end, what we're in effect praying is, you know what, God, I don't want you working in my life anymore like this. Or that person who is on their deathbed, God, I know you want to bring them to heaven, but I want them to suffer longer here now for me. You see, the Holy Spirit is our helper. Notice in this particular case, it says in verse 26, it says, He maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. I've got that word cannot circled in my Bible. You say, why? Because praying in tongues is people uttering something they can't understand. The help of the Holy Spirit in prayer is words you cannot speak. Not things you say you do not understand. And maybe I'm a little bit goofy, but praying in tongues never made any sense to me. Why would you pray in tongues when you have no idea what you prayed for? How do you ever thank or praise God for an answer? It doesn't make any sense. Sometimes the help of the Holy Spirit in our prayer life is for Him to help us to know what to pray for when we pray for things with our words. And in this particular case, it's the help of the Holy Spirit when we don't know how to articulate what our heart is feeling. And He just from our heart, in ways we cannot speak on our behalf, goes to Christ, our intercessor, who intercedes with the Father in, uh, as He does all the time. Do you seek the Holy Spirit's help in prayer? When you pray for something, do you always kind of say, Lord, that's what makes... For instance, moving in over here. Uh, Lord... Our church calendar, if, if this doesn't work out, if we can't move over there starting the 10th and have our first service in there on the 17th, you know it's going to make a big mess of our calendar. Lord, you know that. I pray you'd cause it to work out, but if that's not really best and you want our calendar a mess from my perspective, please give us that. So why, why would you pray like that? Because I believe God knows more than I do. I, I don't believe every adversity that was in the life of our child was bad for them. I didn't pray for some of them to end. I didn't know what they needed. I'm, if I was as smart as you, then, then I would. See, the Holy Spirit helps us pray. He lives in us. He is the seal of a transaction, the earnest, the down payment on God's promise that He will take us to heaven someday. He comforts us. He teaches us. 
He brings the things Christ taught to our remembrance, and He helps us pray. Thank God for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you'd quietly stand.